episode 125 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is uh, Kareem Shaheen, also known as uh, I Fly Metal Birds on uh, Instagram. I'm a 175 captain for uh, uh, an American uh, Airlines only owned carrier. AOPA's Pilot Protection Services is made for pilots who love to fly. Welcome to Pilot Protection Services, where our medical certification staff, legal services staff, and panel attorneys take on the struggles that all pilots deal with. From staying out of trouble with the FAA, becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. We're proud to help over 66,000 AOPA members keep doing what they love most every day. Check them out before your next flight at aopa.org backslash PPS. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today, I am talking with someone that I've been trying to get in the episode for a while. His episode was supposed to come out a couple weeks ago, but unfortunately, the Army called me and they wanted me to uh, release their episode earlier. So sorry, Kareem, but you got pushed back. But anyways, we are talking with Kareem. Kareem on Instagram is iFlyMetalBirds. And it's someone that I've been following for a while. We actually met one time at an Ohio State event. He was the there for um, for the company he works for. He was there promoting, recruiting out there. And I went up to him and said, hey, Kareem, what's up, man? It's nice to meet you. And he thought that I was a groupie. He had no idea who I was. It was actually really funny. We talk about it on this podcast, but Kareem's story has always had been very interesting to me. He's an airline pilot. He's crazy young. He was a flight instructor. He went to aviation. He went to aviation high school. He was a cop. He's just done so much. I mean, he was a freight dog and he is so young and he has accomplished so much. He's the owner of a flight school, co-owner right now. So his story is going to be very inspiring for people looking out there that have a lot of ambitions or maybe they don't have any ambitions and they can be inspired through Kareem. So if you want to follow Kareem, he's a great follow. Go and follow him on Instagram, iFlyMetalBirds. And I I truly hope you enjoy his story in today's episode. If you do enjoy today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all social media handles at PilotThePilot. And you can also check out our Patreon page, our shop, shoppilotthepilot.com and many more. You guys know this by now. I don't need to keep saying that, but I really appreciate it when, uh, when you purchase a hat and you want to go ahead and uh, rock the brand. So we appreciate that. And uh, I don't want to keep you guys any longer. So without any further ado, here is I Fly Metal Birds, Kareem. Kareem, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, brother, what's going on? Not much, man. It's been a long time coming. Uh, This has Uh, been an episode (laughs) I wanted to have for a while. So I'm excited to have you on. That's right. Happy to be here. Yeah, Thanks man. for having me. I will say you, your Instagram page has intrigued me for a while because I, you feel like you just do so much. You are, you're, you're a cop or you were a cop. I don't know how that works now that you don't live in New York anymore. You own a flight school or you're a partner in a flight school. You were an airline pilot at a very young age. You flew the Brasilia down in the Caribbean. Like you've just done a lot and kind of have a cool and a different track. And I think it'll be pretty cool to hear how you got that and why you made all the decisions you made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for uh, the uh, NYPD, I was reserves auxiliary, still am. Uh, it's volunteer for the, uh, for the police department, something that uh, I've uh, always had an interest in that was always my backup to aviation. And uh, pretty soon here, I think I'm going to have to uh, surrender my shield and ID only because I've moved to Dallas. So. Yeah, it might be hard to be an uh, NYPD police officer living in Dallas, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty difficult, but they, they do have a reserve program down here with DPD, so that's hopefully uh, another venture I'd like to uh, 
look into and hopefully get involved in. Well, we'll talk more about kind of all that and how you split time and how you make sure you can do all the things that you wanted to do. But I kind of want to focus first on just why aviation. Uh, are you coming from a family of aviation? Are you the first generation pilot? What was uh, the, your inspiration for kind of getting into this career? First aviation pilot for uh, for our family. Uh, matter of fact, when I went as a little kid, uh, it all started around the age of 10, actually. Funny story. Uh, 10th birthday, my aunt walked through the door. She had a huge box. And I said, well, you know, it's got to be something good, right? Um, and uh, I unwrap it, and it was a karaoke machine. And I said, gee, what am I going to do with the karaoke machine? I can't even sing. Uh, I can do a lot of things amongst... Uh, you know, but it, it definitely not saying. So anyway, um, next day I wake up, I say, ah, I don't know if I, if I really want this thing. And it came with a gift receipt. So I asked my mother, I said, why don't we go over to Best Buy and, and maybe, uh, try to find something else. And, uh, <laughs> I found Microsoft flight simulator over at Best Buy. So I said, Ooh, this is pretty cool. And I always had an interest in, in, in airplanes. I think, uh, a, a fairly healthy, uh, dose of aviation, just like any any ten year old kid would, you know. Hey, I want to be a pilot. Hey, I want to be an astronaut type of thing. Um, got flight simulator and and uh, formed an insane obsession. I mean, that was the highlight of every afternoon uh, right after school for a very very long time. Um, at the age of thirteen, so I think that was uh, senior year of middle school, something like that. Uh, I pulled the trigger on an intro flight, and uh, that was the day that I said I am going to be a pilot. Uh, no question. No one's going to change my mind. It's going to happen. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And um, that's how it started. That's crazy. So yeah. when you started playing Flight Simulator, and obviously you said at age 13, you took the the intro flight and you realized this is what you want to do. But just doing Flight Simulator, just playing that game in the afternoons, did you kind of have an idea that you wanted to be a pilot? Did you kind of think, hey, this is for me? Or are you just kind of in the mindset of this is a video game? This is a lot of fun. No, no, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, and I would, you'd have options of flight simulator to customize and download different airplanes and different airline liveries and, and whatnot. It was just the coolest thing. I had my, my best friend, Nick at the time, uh, him and I were, were very well involved in, in flight. So I got, so I got into it randomly and then I got him into it. And then we got another friend involved and it was just this little group of, of kids that said they wanted to be pilots. And, uh, um, from there, it just became, oh, I'm going to set goals for myself. And, uh, and hey, I, I want to take flight, flight lessons. Hey, I want to solo an airplane. Hey, I want to get my private and just so on and so forth. Are they pilots too? Um, no. Okay. Um, I was the only one, uh, unfortunately, that it, that it stuck with it. One of them is, uh, is in pre-med right now and the other one's in the real estate industry. So. Oh, cool. So they actually uh, want to make money with their career, huh? <laughs> that's right right. (laughs) just kidding just kidding i mean kind of but uh yeah no that's cool i mean there there comes a point when you take kind of uh just an idea or just like a a a fun video game and you can turn it into a career do you remember what it was that made you eventually just go you know what i actually want to go try to fly this for real and uh and go up and fly do you remember the why you actually went and went after it Nothing specific. I think it was the complexity of, uh, of aviation and being a pilot. And, uh, and also just from, from that point onwards, every time I get on an airplane as a passenger, it was very, very exciting to know kind of what was going on and be like, oh, those are flaps. Oh, you know, this is what we're going to yeah, This is going to be our taxi or, you know, little, little aviation nerd type stuff. 
Um, and, and it was just understanding uh, the industry, uh, thinking highly of flight crews and, and pilots and air traffic controllers and just really respecting uh, the people. I, I appreciated the personalities in aviation. I think every um, field and every industry that I'm kind of sort of involved in is fairly similar in terms of the personality. So I think it was just the people and the personalities and the complexity of aviation. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. There is definitely a personality of a pilot. And I mean, it, it changes based on where you go and it's kind of like a culture thing, but yeah, I agree. And I would agree looking from the outside in that you seem to choose the ones that have a similar personality type, which is good. If you, you found a, you found a way to surround yourself with people that kind of have the same ideas and the same uh, passions that you do. I think it's a New York thing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But yeah. I guess you'll find well, out in Dallas, huh? <laughs> we'll find that in Dallas. Yeah. What was, so you're 13 years old. You take this first flight uh, and you realize this is what you want to do. What, what do you do as a 13 year old to prepare yourself for this kind of career? How, what's the next step? Oh, dude, it was, it was insane. I showed up kind of like a know-it-all. Uh, uh, not proud of it, but it, but it was it was it was a funny situation. I, I was very familiar at the time, showing up for my first flight lesson with ATC Communications, like super. Like I, matter of fact, I jumped in. I was like, "Hey, you mind if I if I give the radios a, a, a shot?" And the instructor was like, "Yeah, sure." And I made the first call there at the ramp, the taxi thing. I mean, he was like, "Wow, you got this. Just keep the radios." And 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 it was just uh, it was just really really funny because I jumped in and, and I was super well prepared. I, I watched tons of pre-flight videos, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, you know, he let me do my first takeoff and all that stuff. So um, I, I was just the, the flight sim thing was was um, all the preparation. I really did that, and, and it's just a bunch of YouTube videos. You can learn how to. You can learn how to how to drive anything or fly anything on YouTube nowadays. You really but, can. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just it was just a very innocent and very um, exciting day. I mean, I, I I still remember what I was wearing that day at, at the age of thirteen. And then, um, might I add, um, I think a week or two after that, one of my buddies, Dan, um, he's over at uh, another regional carrier as well right now. He's a chief pilot there now, but. Um, he took me up as well in, in, a, in a Piper and he was fairly young at the time. I think he was 17 as well. And, uh, and, uh, that was, uh, that was a good time as well. So he took, we went over to Bridgeport, Connecticut for some, uh, slushies. And I was like, yep, I want to be a pilot. I want to fly to Bridgeport every weekend for slushies done. So you wanted to become a pilot for the slushies. I like it. Most yeah, people talk that, about the hundred dollar hamburger. Story. You talk about a hundred dollar <laughs> slushie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's cool, man. Hey, whatever floats your boat or whatever kind of slushie you want. You know, that's cool. Um, what airport did you do your first uh, flight at? You're talking about ramp and you're talking about all that stuff. Was it a busy airport? Yeah, very busy airport. Republic airport, uh, FRG nice. over in, uh, yeah, Long Island. Very, very busy airport. We'd always be number 15 for a touch and go and we would be well outside the Delta before we come back for, for a landing. So that was a great place to, to learn how to fly in terms of communications and whatnot. Very bad for the bank. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said though, um, you were very comfortable with your, your communications with ATC and that's actually one of, uh, I guess, I mean, you've been an instructor, you've kind of seen it. You, it can really be difficult for people to feel comfortable in that situation. And we don't feel comfortable with what ATC is communicating with you. That's going to affect how you fly. Um, you obviously had help with a, or with a flight simulator and maybe YouTube videos. Would you recommend that for maybe people that are struggling, maybe to go on to VATSIM, maybe to uh, find another way to listen to ATC? Or um, I guess my question is, how do you recommend people get more comfortable with it? 
1000%. I mean, there's plenty of, I, I call case studies that I've, uh, that I've had for myself. Uh, I've been involved in uh, one upcoming uh, flight simulation network called POSCON uh, very well. The founder, uh, Andrew Heath, a lot of people are, might be familiar. Uh, he's an American Airlines captain right now. We all started off on Batson together. Uh, DK, uh, you know, uh, on Instagram as well. Plenty of people uh, that I can name that started off on the network flying on Batson. 1,000% would recommend in terms of com- communication, educating yourself about the industry, meeting people that are on the industry. Uh, you'd be surprised how often you get on, on, on one of these networks, Batson, Poscon, uh, Pilot Edge, and run into actual aviation professionals, air traffic controllers, pilots, so on and so forth. Uh, so 1,000%. It's not only good for your communication uh, skills and and uh, whatnot, but it's also good for networking. Yeah, and uh, it, it's a cheaper option too, right? Like it's a lot cheaper than going up and flying an airplane up on a Delta it, or a Bravo. It, it costs $0.00 and zero cents. Yeah. So, what's funny is you mentioned the the professional side of it, but um, do you know you heard it? You know Air Force Proud on YouTube. Have you seen his videos? Yeah, yeah. Air Force so, Proud ninety five. Yeah, you have uh, you <laughs> have the professional. <laughs> you have the professional, and then you got that, which is yeah. hilarious. <laughs> if I might add myself being an outsider, but I'm guessing it can be kind of frustrating when you're in the moment trying to take it serious. But <laughs> it's you pretty know, hilarious. You know, so so he 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 flies on like those those weird networks, like not even Batsum or Poscon. He keeps it offline. Uh, like the random networks, but he, I, I have talked to him on Batson and, and he, he's very professional on that side for sure. So I think it's just kind of, kind of a YouTube thing. Yeah. He, absolutely. he doesn't put that yeah. on, on YouTube when he's being professional. Yeah. I want to get as many right. views or likes, huh? Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. funny. Yeah. I'm trying to get him on. I, I reached out to him a while ago, but never heard back. So I want to, I feel like he'd have a pretty funny story to tell. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I think his father is an airline pilot. Oh, cool. I'm mistaken. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're 13 years old and obviously you can't solo till you're 16. You can't get your rating till later in life. What did you do to kind of prepare yourself for that? What was the road like up until maybe getting your private and uh, your training? So that issue has been the most common issue up until now. Um, the, the whole age thing has prevented me from doing so much. And that's, that's a good thing. That truly is a good thing because it just, it gives you ample time to prepare mentally and, and understand uh, the severity and, and respect what you're about to do. Um, so, having, uh, yeah, I, I was ready to solo well before I was 16. I mean, my instructor would pace me. Uh, he would have to say, Kareem, we need to slow down a little bit. You're doing great. We need to slow down. You can't solo. And uh, he's, he, he was a, a good, honest uh, man. He, he did flight instructing on the side. Uh, he had no intentions of being an airline pilot. So it's just a very experienced uh, professional. And, um, so, uh, I think I was ready to solo somewhere between the ages of 14 and a half ish 15. Um, and, uh, from there I would just, uh, take a flight lesson once every two months type of thing, just to kind of stay current. And, uh, then when we came up on, uh, my 16th birthday, we jumped back into it and started flying more consistently working on the landings. And then I was able to solo, um, I wasn't able to do it on my birthday, uh, because of the weather. Oh, I remember that much, uh, <laughs> but it, 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 we got very, very close. Yeah. 
What do you, so obviously age is an issue for a lot of, maybe not a lot, but a good amount of pilots that know they want to do this at an early age. How, what would, what's your mindset going through that? Because you talk about the respect that, and it's kind of a necessary thing. You know, you kind of form your maturity through those ages and maybe it's not best for you to be soloing at 14 or maybe it is. That's a different conversation for another podcast, but what's your mentality like training when you know that you can't kind of execute private pilot license you can't solo kind of does that mess with your mentality or is it just like you're just does that kind of make you want to do it more so you can be the best pilot you can at the youngest age you can be not in a bad way and you know what i don't i've never set a goal for myself saying hey i want to be the youngest ever hey i want to be the, 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 the i want to solo at the youngest possible age I, that was never really uh, those were never really goals for me it was just when is the soonest i can do this that was my mindset and i think if you go into it with a humble mindset of what is the soonest I can do this rather than, Oh, I want to be the youngest. I want to be the best. I want to be, because you're never going to be the best. And I'm sure there've been younger, uh, especially overseas. Um, so for me, it was just more so, okay, that's fine. I can't solo now. Great. I have more time to prepare. I have more time to educate myself and be better at this craft. Um, so, so that was really the mindset at the time, I think. And even now, uh, just that's fine. Everything happens for a reason and uh, timing is everything. So there was a little bit of anxiety, not so much during the solo, but definitely later on in my career, a little bit of anxiety of, oh, I can't do this now. Crap. I got to wait for uh, for my age or I got to wait for this. I got to wait for that. And, and there is a little bit of anxiety on the professional level because of this, how the industry changes as we see now. I mean, um, things can happen that can, that can really put everything to a, at, at a hole. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on. And I like what you said earlier is that you can't, you, you can never be the best or maybe you can be, but it's not going to be consistent all the time. Like you're not bad days. You're not always going to be the best pilot that you can possibly be. So to understand that is going to make you a much better and safer pilot to understand the fact that you're not this macho guy out here and, and you can learn every single day. So I think that's a very good kind of uh, mindset to have when you're in training and very respectable too of, of what the surroundings and what the situation you are in. And you're right. The industry, how it is, is one of those things where I could see that anxiety because you want to get in as quick as possible. The, the industry is the best it's ever been. You need to get in now, now, now for that seniority number. And that has come to prove how important a seniority number is in times like this. Um, the cyclical industry, cyclical industry. I mean, there's just nothing we can do about that. The, the highs are very, very high and the lows seem to be very, very low. So yeah, seniority number can be everything, and I can understand that anxiety. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm glad I got in when I did because it is my saving grace, uh, if I'm honest. And uh, it's uh, we're we're in a tough time for sure, but we'll get through it. I I, I understand this is one of the worst <laughs> um, that that it's ever been in terms of uh, the industry and just any industry overall in today's world. But yeah. we'll get through it. This question is going to be kind of misplaced in the timeline, but it's kind of just on my mind now. I don't want to forget to ask it, but your your main goal is to go to a major airline, right? Like that's what you dream of. That's what you want to do. And that's why you chose probably the airline, the the regional airline that you went to, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's 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 the goal there. So yeah. what is, so you, you see when you're coming up and you see maybe the flows, like people are moving on in four or five, three years, whatever it may be. But now you're in a situation where kind of you're almost just happy to have a job, right? Like you're just glad you have the seniority number. You're glad you have that job. But what does that do to the mindset of uh, someone that's at a regional that's looking at kind of the majors and the money and everything else being dangled out in front of you? And maybe it just got extended another couple of years. What's your mindset 
with uh, that main goal with the major airline? As an individual, personally, as, as messed up as this might sound, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for the opportunity to look into other things. Um, because I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy for my job. Very excited. Everything's great. But I also kind of felt trapped as an individual because I had, I had plenty of ideas and other things that I'd really like to venture into and not having that opportunity because I'm tied into my job and, and, and the aviation industry, um, had had its own level of anxiety. Um, not bad, just just kind of like whatever. So as an individual, uh, that's just the type of person I am. I look at what what now? What can I do now? That's fine. Life is life. Everything stopped. That's fine. Now I have an opportunity to grow as a person, as an individual, and in something else. And um, that's so that's that really is my mindset. Now I've had two other opportunities. Uh, to go to other airlines, bigger airlines, fly heavier equipment. Um, for, in one instance, really heavy equipment, and in another instance, a, a fairly large, highly respected airline in the Northeast. And I opted to stay put. And this was pre-COVID. Uh, this was just a few months ago. And I opted to stay put. And pre-COVID, after making the decision to stay put, I said, I really hope I don't regret this. And as soon as the, the COVID thing happened and everything shut down, I, for a split second, I said, oh, I should have went over there. And then I really thought about it. I said, no, I'm probably better off here with all this seniority. And plus, if things don't go too well and they, they start forcing people to, to furlough or, or furloughing people and uh, uh, more junior pilots start taking leave, then I might in the interest of helping out my, my fellow pilots and my pilot group and allowing more junior pilots to keep their seniority, I might take a leave and venture off and do something else in a different industry. So, so it wasn't too bad for me, um, only because I'm excited for other opportunities. But then again, this could all fail. You know, my, my, the other ventures that I'd like to look into or, or, or other industries I'd like to uh, get involved in, um, might totally fail, you know? So it's just, it's just kind of a, uh, the mindset is just be open-minded and look at the bright side. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do. I mean, I always like to try to say that when you're in a high, like the highest of highs, it's hard for you to remember what the lows are like. And then when you're in the low, you can never take yourself out of the low. Like it's like a constant cycle of just thinking about how it's never going to end. It's never going to get better. But uh, we, the industry has shown that it will get better in time. And uh, we don't know how long or when that will happen. But one day we will be, be smiling again and, and be more happy with what we're doing. But yeah, it's really interesting that you, you turn down those jobs and the timing of that. I mean, like you said, that's something that when you're in the high of high, I mean, I've kind of seen it too, where if I want to leave here where I'm at now to go to major airline or go to an airline in general, it's kind of like you weigh the pros and cons. You're like, man, I really hope I'm making the right decision. But when things like this happen, a lot of times it might be a reassurance for you to be like, well, I am where I need to be right now. I have what I need to be. And I'm so happy that I'm here in the moment. Right. Absolutely. I, again, I'm, I'm a strong believer of everything happens for a reason. And uh, I'm glad I made that decision now because I'd rather be here with the seniority I have than there with uh, an uncertain future. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, so going back to your story, so I believe you went to aviation high school, correct? I did. Yeah. What, so, all right. 
from the Southeast, never heard of an aviation high school before. I've talked to someone else that went to aviation high school, Mel Williams. Do you know Mel? It was in the mm-hmm, same aviation high school? Yes. Okay. Are there multiple aviation high schools in Brooklyn or is it the only one? It's just the one. It's actually in Long Island City, Queens, not very far from LaGuardia. Um, so it was quite the commute for me. It was about a three-hour commute round trip, um, but that that just shows you the, the level of motivation back then. <laughs> the, the total app geek you were, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> now, now, AV, um, it, it ran under two names. That at one point, it was the Manhattan School of Aviation Trades, and this was when the school was in Manhattan a very, very long time ago. I couldn't even tell you when. Um, and then it they changed names, moved to Queens and called it aviation high school. They actually produce an insanely high number. I think like 75 or 80% of our industry's mechanics, uh, in this country. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, they, they contribute immensely to the aviation industry. Um, great school. Uh, it's in addition to your regular academics, every single day, we would have an additional four shop classes, four classes of aviation maintenance, hands-on. You're working with real airplanes. You're working with real engines. You're working with an actual legitimate stuff. And that was an FAA-approved uh, aviation maintenance class. Um, and you would graduate in four years with one license, your airframe or power plant. And then there was a fifth-year program, and that's where you would get the other, the other license. So if you graduated in four years with your airframe, you stay fifth year, you get your power plant. And fifth year for a lot of students was at JFK Airport. It wasn't even at the school. It was at a, a, a hangar, an annex that we had all the way on the southwest side of the field. And um, that's where you would get the other license. Dang, that's crazy. I remember talking to Mel and I was just like dumbfounded by that. It's like you're actually learning a trade in high school that you can go do and make some good money once you get out. And he never mentioned that it's 75% of mechanics in the U.S. Like that's unbelievable. That seems just like a great option for someone that kind of maybe doesn't know what they want to do or maybe someone that doesn't want to go to college and they want to make decent money and have some travel benefits when they get out. It is. It is. It's fantastic. It's not bad, especially if you get on with a major carrier right off the bat and you're making 80 grand um, right out of high school. I mean, it's not a bad gig at all. Um, And I can't tell what I'll tell you this. All of our mechanics admire. I can't say all. Most of our mechanics at my airline in when I was based in New York were all graduates with me. Like I graduated with almost all of them. And it's pretty funny because back in high school, I'd say, if any of you walk on my airplane, I'm walking off. And now kind of it's, it's pretty ironic. Because they probably said the same thing about you. If I ever walk on a plane, I see you on it. I'm walking off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of. So that's, that's exactly it. You obviously wanted to be a pilot. So what does that route look like? aviation high school where you get the, did you get your AMP then? Are you, uh, are you able to work on airplanes or did you kind of bypass that? Or what was the route like specifically for you since you wanted to be a pilot? Good question. Um, I going in to aviation, I mean, because it, it is a very time consuming school to go to. I mean, in terms of the commute, in terms of the classes that I had to take, it was very difficult. Um, so going in, I said, yeah, I'm going to get my A&P uh, and be a pilot at the same time, and then we'll see what happens. I, I did enjoy aviation maintenance, especially uh, airframe work. I wasn't a fan of power plant. And um, as the my high school career progressed, somewhere around junior year, I said, this isn't going to work. i got to focus on one. It was very time-consuming, very, very difficult to manage both, especially getting out of school at – you know, 5 PM and having the commute an hour and a half back home. Um, so I made the determination to 
go easy on the shop classes. We had that option junior year. You could say, ah, you know what? Not for me. I don't want it. Um, and at that point I was commuting. So I would leave high school fairly late. And this didn't really work out well in the winter because uh, due to our, uh, uh, the, the number of <laughs> hours of sunlight that you would get. But I would take the train all the way to Long Island, which was another disastrous commute on its own. And I would take flight lessons. And I had some great teachers that were very cooperative and very supportive that would allow me to leave a little early to, to make that happen. Um, so yeah, I, I focused on the flying more, did not get my AMP. Um, but with the hours that I put into school, I have the option so I can work with an IA for a set number of hours, go take a practical, go take a written and then earn my AMP that way. Uh, and now with my flight school venture that I'm sure we're going to talk to, uh, talk about here in a little bit, that, that might be a, a good option if I yeah, find the time. Might be, but, might give you another hat or another hat to put on in case anything goes down, you know, it, it would be helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So a lot of people in their training have multiple jobs. They have school. They Maybe they are later in their career and they're, they're thinking about um, uh, becoming a pilot and maybe quitting their job. But the reason why I'm going to bring this up, and the reason why I'm asking this question is because when you were going through your training, it sounds like you had a lot going on. You know, you're full-time in, in high school. You had a, a long commute. You had a full schedule. And everyone kind of might be thinking to themselves and just being like, I don't have enough time to become a pilot. What is your, your mindset in that? What is, uh, how do you just make sure you make it happen? Is it kind of just your drive? Like you knew that this was your goal and you wanted to do it. What was uh, motivating you when you, I'm sure sometimes it was like, I don't really want to do this hour and a half commute. Like I just want to go home, play on your case, play flight simulator with my friends or call of duty, whatever it was. But what, what's your mindset? How do you kind of make sure you go after it and keep going every single day? I think it was hundred percent drive and it might be difficult to jump in but once you do, and once you get the ball rolling, um, I think it's it's fairly easy uh, because once you get used to that really bad, really long commute, and it just becomes routine, it makes it a lot easier. So I think it was a hundred percent drive. Yeah, and that's that's something drive can can come and go a little bit. I feel like like when things are going really well and things are going great, that drive is there and can motivate you. But when maybe you struggle with a subject, maybe you just have a couple bad days in a row flying, or the weather just gets bad. You know, you kind of like question yourself, and you're like, "Why the heck am I doing this? Like, it's never going to happen." Did you have any moments like that? Hundred percent, all the time. Um, the the commute was difficult. Also, being motivated to do good in school and and have good grades so I can grab graduate with, you know, with whatever I can graduate with, um, was also motivation. Um, and for me, I think if, if you're going to, if you want to talk about things that took that motivation away, I would say my age circling back to what we talked about earlier. Um, because again, high school, I was like, ah, at the time in junior year, I don't know how old I was, but I definitely wasn't 18 to get a commercial. <laughs> so, uh, that was, uh, that was probably a little bit of, I guess what I was, what I was telling myself at the time was, Oh, you're fine. You're fine. You, you have what you can get. You're, you're maxed out on, on, on what you can do. You're good. Just relax a little bit. So it, yeah, possibly. I think part of it was just kind of just telling myself, Oh, it's fine. <laughs> everything's going to be uh, all right. <laughs> everything's going to be all right. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I know, especially for, um, working adults, it might be a little more difficult they might have families at home. They they might be exhausted from work and, and they might have to go home so they can rest so they can be effective at work the next day. I know it can be difficult. I've dealt with 
I've had plenty of students that were in that boat. Um, and I've had students quit their job. One of them, who I'm sure is going to eventually uh, uh, get to hear this podcast, was one of my high school teachers. And he would, I'd, I'd walk around school and he would say, you're going to make the best flight attendant JetBlue's ever seen. And he'd always say that to me. And then fast forward two years and he was my flight student quitting his uh, teaching job so he can be a pilot. <laughs> and now, he, now he's a flight instructor. So pretty funny. That is really uh, funny. And I taught two or three, three of my high school teachers how to fly. So it's pretty, pretty funny how it, it works now. But then again, we're all in aviation. So that was a fairly natural, uh, natural decision. Yeah. I mean, that kind of echoes the fact when people tell you, you never know who's going to be kind of your superior. You never know who's going to be your captain, your chief pilot. Like for them being a teacher, they never thought that you would be their flight instructor teaching them how to fly, but that can apply later in life too. Like maybe they get on at a major airline before and they're hiring you. So it, it goes to show that you you always need to kind of hold yourself to a high, high standard and make sure that you're putting out the best version of yourself as much as you can, because you never know who's going to help you out in this industry or who could help you out. Hundred percent, and I think that's a, a really hard lesson to learn. Um, and and you'll see. I mean, getting getting into aviation, I'm sure a lot of uh, young folks that are listening to this podcast are gonna they hear this again and again. Hey, you never know. You never know. You never know. Don't burn any bridges. Be nice to everybody. And we all learn that lesson the hard way. I think early in our careers. Yeah, because you always think you know what you're doing. You always think that you can you you kind of run your career at all times, but you're going to need someone's help eventually. And if you don't burn any bridges, which is hard to do, like you said, I mean, I've had some jobs where I didn't necessarily love what I was doing and I, I felt like maybe I was wronged, but you need to look at the bigger picture and understand that me causing a fuss is not worth it. It's just going to cause problems later down the road. I mean, everyone knows everyone in this industry. So it's just sometimes it's, you just got to think about the greater, the greater good and just know it's not worth it. That's right. All right. So your, your story now, more of your story. So you're going through flying, going through aviation high school. You are just commuting like crazy. Just a lot going on. Uh, what was, um, what was the process? Did you pretty much get all your ratings as soon as you could when the age, when the age was, when you were old enough to, or, uh, did you have any struggles with that or what, what did that look like? So, um, private, yes. And a little bit of instrument, yes, through high school and graduating high school. Uh, I think I took like seven days off. It was something ridiculously low from the moment I graduated the moment I, I went full speed ahead, uh, I think it was like seven or a few days after high school. I this this was in in the works prior to graduating, of course. But as soon as I graduated, I went full speed ahead at a, at ATP and got the rest of my ratings. And I was out the door with everything. I think I got to think about this real quick. I was out the door with everything. I think in five months which I hear was, was a record. And that was just, that was just, um, good timing and good weather that was cooperative and it just worked out. I had phenomenal instructors. Going, uh, a lot of people, this might be a, a chance for you to kind of speak on ATP a little bit if you want to, but a lot of people have this idea of trying to get things done as fast as possible, or maybe go to 61 school. Based on your experience, would you recommend ATP for everyone, or is it for a certain student, maybe in a certain situation? I've seen both. I've worked at a 141 school. Um, I've worked at 61 schools, and 
ATP being 61, I think it's for a certain person. Um, and I, I have to be careful about how I elaborate on that because I, I'd, I'd be lying if I, uh, if I, if I truly gave my opinion, but, um, I think, I think you gotta be incredibly, incredibly motivated. And I think you have to have the mindset of there are very, very thorough people out there and I respect them a lot. Um, I can be thorough at times, but then again, I'm able to, you know, uh, kind of, uh, flip the switch and say, I just need to do exactly what I'm expected to do and just exactly what I need to do to get out of it. So as long as you're motivated enough and have the self-discipline to say, hey, I know this isn't the way I want to be doing it, but I'm, I'm just going to do exactly what they say, comply and graduate, then I think ATP is a good decision. Um, it's also very fast paced. So um, if, if you have a student that comes from a more technical job and is used to maybe um, uh, breaking down everything and taking their time, I don't think ATP would be the best decision just because it's very fast paced. And just because you might have to skip over things and then circle back later on at a different time to, to understand something or, uh, you'll always have a good understanding. I think it's a great program, but if you really, really want to dive into a specific subject and understand it a thousand percent, you're going to find yourself having to circle back on your own time, um, to, to, uh, really understand that. Um, so I think, I think to answer your question, yes or no, Yeah. yes and no. <laughs> yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would agree. I think it's definitely for a specific, it can be for a specific person. I'm sure it can work for everyone if you put in the work for it, but it's definitely a fast pace and kind of hang on tight. And maybe you're not going to get as much of an in-depth knowledge like we're talking about. You might have to do a little more self-studying or might have to to figure some more stuff out on your own, but that's kind of what it's designed to do. It's designed to, to get you through. It's designed to get you your ratings and kind of, it's almost, I mean, I don't know about you and your kind of type ratings that you had, but sometimes they don't go as in-depth as what they used to. They might have shortened it up a little bit. So it might be more in line with what you're going to see at an airline or maybe what you're going to see when you get in your first jet type rating at flight safety. So it's kind of on par with uh, setting you up for your future as an airline pilot or a regional pilot or whatever, insert whatever pilot you want to be. It really is. It really is. Um, what gets me through all types of training in this industry, um, that goes to my initial training as a pilot, getting my initial ratings to all of the type ratings that I've that I've earned, um, is, is literally just relaxing. I am, it's, it's crazy because all my classmates and even my, my sim partner on our, on our last type rating, they, they're all, they're all, how are you so calm? How are you so relaxed? I'm like, that's what gets me through it. It really is. Um, there's no point of freaking yourself out because you, you're your worst enemy at that point. I think when you're going through, uh, an intense time sensitive training program like that, um, I think ATP really is in line with, with the types of training you're going to see at the airline. And look, some people say, well, they're not preparing you enough. You know, you're not educated enough to be a pilot. You're just, you're just checking a box. You're just getting your ratings. Well, look at that point, And uh, really at any point in your career, even, even now, um, those licenses, yes, you're a professional. Yes. You're good at what you do, but they're also your licenses to learn. You have plenty of learning to do as a flight instructor. Um, and this is why I do recommend flight instructing. I know nowadays times have changed uh, compared to when, when, when I was job hunting and whatnot. You can, you can get a job right out of flight training, it seems like. 
and go fly a jet corporate or whatever. And that's all good. I, that's cool. I respect that. If I had the opportunity, I probably would have done that. Um, but I, I'm a strong believer of becoming a flight instructor, especially if you go through a program like ATP or a fast paced flight training program, because you have a lot to learn <laughs> and that is how you're going to learn it is by teaching it. I agree. I mean, I wasn't a flight instructor, but I, I do agree with that, that there is a, a huge part in the amount of knowledge you'll learn and kind of the flying an airplane or the why, or just some knowledge about flying when you are an instructor, you can't get anywhere else. Um, the the students going to force you into some certain situations or you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what the heck? <laughs> and you're going to learn real quick about how to never do that again or how to teach a concept better. And you know, it's going to force you every single day to to reevaluate, reevaluate what you know and how you can portray that to someone else in their different learning style. Perfect example. Um, uh, right rudder. Instructors said all the time, right rudder, right rudder. And crosswind landings, aileron into the wind, opposite rudder. These were things that I, that I've, always, I forced myself to be aware of as a student, right? All right, you're at crosswind, table run into the wind, opposite rudder, all right, we're climbing out, we got all this power in, right rudder, all this stuff. I, ha- I had to make a conscious effort for the longest time. As a flight instructor, having to repeat it again and again and again and being frustrated by my students not doing it, it instilled it in me. And, and, and ultimately, it, it just, it became second nature for me. Um, and that's what flight instructing did. It, it took all that stuff that I that I had a uh, a fairly uh, conscious awareness of, and it it just turned it into into just hey, just do it. You're, I'm just doing it. I'm not even thinking about it. Um, so yeah, that that's just an example there. Absolutely. Uh, what was so? Did you get your CFI at ATP, or did you get all your other ratings and then get your CFI somewhere else? No, I got my ATP or, or my CFIs at ATP. Okay. And then why did you choose to instruct at a school other than ATP? I know that when you go through ATP, don't you have the ability maybe to go back? I, I might be speaking completely out of context, but don't they kind of promise you like you go back and maybe they, they take money? I don't know. It's like a better deal to go back and instruct there, right? You do have the option to go to ATP. I would have been making a lot more money <laughs> than I did um, at ATP. The decisions I made were... Uh, sort of impulsive. So I, I graduated ATP and I was done on one day. And I think like three days later, I had my first job. I, it was a Monday. I remember I had my job on a Monday. Um, and the way it happened, it was just kind of, it just worked out. My goal at the time was to be back in New York. hundred percent. I had to be in New York. Um, and ATP, I slipped. I don't believe had an instructor job available, but I was told, Hey, there's going to be one opening up soon. And you should hang tight and we'll get you to New York. At the same time, one of my friends at the time, who uh, is one of the owners and operators of a fairly large private jet company outfit up in New York, up at the same airport I operate at, um, was like, hey, why don't we go try to get you a job at, at this flight school? Again, a larger flight school at my home airport. And um, he made the introduction to one of the owners and uh, they said, why don't we interview right now? And they gave me an interview and I was hired. Um, so I said, why, why wait when the opportunity is here to work at my home airport? Because ATP was, was on Long Island, but it was at, actually at MacArthur Airport further, further east. And that was a, about a two-hour commute for me. Jeez. Um, you really wanted and, it, dude. <laughs> yes. So I, I said, I'll, I'll sacrifice the money just so I can be closer to home. And it was a major pay cut. I mean, it was really bad. I was making $15 an hour um, as a CFI. 
which was a lot lower, I think, than a lot of other schools at the time. Um, but hey, and it was only $15 an hour when I was flying. <laughs> so, But um, you were getting paid to do what you love, right? <laughs> but, but I was getting paid to do what I loved and I was home and I was young and, and it just, it worked out. How long did you instruct um, for? The first time I instructed for less than a year. I don't remember how many months total. Less than a year and... Um, I got close to a thousand hours or just about there or something like that. And, uh, then I was able to get a job with Ameriflight. Um, went over to Ameriflight, was very grateful for that. I had a few friends that worked there at the time and I would call them and annoy the, uh, heck out of them to, to give me the insights and, Hey, you know, if I get hired, what airplane am I going to go on? And that sort of thing. And there were a lot of very up in the air questions with Ameriflight (laughs) and, uh, I had uh, a friend that was working there at the time that uh, wrote me a letter of rec and his, the letter of rec really came in handy and I got an interview and I was able to go over to AmeriFlight, got hired on the uh, Brasilia, the E-120, my proudest, or proudest airplane. Um, and bro? Uh, yeah, the bro. It, it really was a bro. It was, I, left, I left that company not truly knowing how to, how to fly an airplane right. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of airplane. And I was hired as a Miami pilot. And while I was in training, Miami shut down on the airplane, on the Brasilia. It was still an option on other airplanes, but not on the Brasilia. And I walked into, I I guess, the chief pilot's office, like the head chief pilot at headquarters. And I said, well, now what? He said, I'll give you an option to go to any base you want to in the system. You pick. And he was like, I would suggest going to Puerto Rico. And I said, in my head, I was like, absolutely not. Not going to happen. Not going to Puerto Rico. Um, so I went home, made a few phone calls, called my Ameriflight buddies and I said, where do I go? Should I go to, should I go to the West coast? Uh, should I go to Cincinnati? I, I definitely don't want to go to Puerto Rico. And they're like, why not? I said, I don't know. Is, is it safe? Is it, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go to Puerto Rico. They're like, no, it's super safe. You're going to have a blast. Uh, Puerto Rico is its own animal at that airline because everyone's so isolated. We're on an island alone. We're so far away from everything else. And it's it's such a chill. You're going to feel like you're on vacation. So I took their word for it, showed up the next day. I said, I'll go to Puerto Rico. And the chief pilot was like, I thought you said you didn't want to go there. I said, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> packed my bags at the age of at the ripe old age of 19. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> here I am getting on an airplane to San Juan. <laughs> <laughs> and super terrified of everything, not knowing what's going on. Landed San Juan, it felt so foreign. It was such a culture shock. Um, and the chief pilot in Puerto Rico, who I'm really good friends with now, drove all the way from Aguadilla, which was on the west side, all the way to the east side, San Juan, about a three-hour drive, picked me up, and we drove back to uh, Aguadilla, which would be my base. And... Uh, I remember the first five days were just brutal, man. It, it, it was really tough. The culture shock. Nobody spoke English on that side of the island. Um, you know, there were chickens running around and iguanas, and it was just a crazy, crazy thing coming from New York City. <laughs> and, um, I, I went on Craigslist, found an apartment, which actually wasn't even an apartment; it was a house, and I think it was like five hundred fifty dollars for the whole house. And yeah a month. And, um, 
I, I got an airport car, bought this airport car off of a pilot, and it was a fifth generation airport car. It was oh, nice. Four Taurus. So yeah, it had, it had some. Uh, it needed some TLC. I'm guessing it, it needed it needed a lot more than TLC. Uh, matter of fact, it broke down on me. It blew up. Went on caught on fire uh, about a week and a half later after I got it, and I pulled over at a gas station. <laughs> Bad place, I know. And I left it there, and it's been there ever since I left it. I'm sure. Oh, no I'm, way. I don't know if the hurt. I don't know if the hurricane took it away. That's crazy. <laughs> and Ameriflight was very cooperative. They actually got me a rental car for the remainder of my career, and I would just swap it out every uh, every month. Oh no way! And, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, they were they 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 were a great company. They really did work with the pilots. Uh, I believe they worked with me a lot, and and they worked with our fellow pilots at the base. Um. And that was fun. Um, Aeroflot was great. I, I had a lot of international experience at that point, flying to South America, uh, Venezuela, all over the Caribbean, um, really learning how to work with other countries' air traffic systems. We'd fly to Barbados. That's one system. Uh, we'd fly to Piarco in Trinidad. We'd fly to Venezuela, Micatia. And that was a really unique experience, especially at a young age. And now that I look back I, and I reflect, I was like, that truly was a great experience. It's going to prepare me for the rest of my career. Uh, extended over water operations uh, and then flying raw data in a, in, a, in a fairly large airplane over the water for an extended period of time. That was difficult. Back then, it was all I knew. Um, but I'll tell you what, when I got to the 121 airlines, it, it was like, oh, this is a joke. It yeah, really yeah. is. We just use GPS? Okay. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how scary it was for me transitioning from that to automation because I'm like, the airplane does that for you? That's so scary. I don't want it to do that for me. I want to do it. So that was that was <laughs> kind of the mindset. And evolving, I think I have, hopefully, correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I know, flying right now, I, I think I have all Embraer type ratings in terms of airliners, Embraer airliners, with the exception of the Embraer 110. And I don't even know if that's flying anymore. Well, you got to figure it so, out. You got to buy it, restore it, and get that type rating. That's right. That's right. And uh, every Embraer I go to just goes more and more advanced. So the 140 and then the 175. And the 175, you, you don't even need pilots in that thing. So uh, Don't say that. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't say that. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, one, cool. one question I had is, so I did a similar path where I didn't go flight instructor, but I went aerial survey. And then I came to the determination that I needed some, some more quality time in my eyes. So I chose single pilot freight and I flew a PC 12, but you were a flight instructor, had a thousand hours. I'm guessing you kind of, most people at a thousand hours at a flight school are just going to stick it out to go to the regional airline. They're going to stay there until they, they get hired. Why did you make the move to Mariflight? What was your motivator behind that? I was 19. <laughs> so I, I actually couldn't uh, go to the airlines because I was too young. You had to be 21. So knowing that, um, I, I had to look into other options. It was either flight instruct until I turned 23 or 21, which uh, at the time I wasn't very motivated to do, uh, making $15 an hour and, and, and flying that much. Because I think I, some months I was breaking 120 hours a month. So it was brutal. Um, it, I was getting worn out very quick. So that's why I went to Ameriflight. I, I wanted to fly bigger equipment and I, I thought it would be character building and it was. Oh, it's character building. That's for sure. Freight is uh, an inner single pilot freight is an interesting world to be in and it gets a lot of hate, but I have a lot of respect for anyone that has flown single pilot freight. You are all alone. You got to deal with everything. You got to go with the flow and you got to be creative a lot of times to make sure you can get the job done and get it done safely. It 
really instills a different mindset. And that becomes very, very valuable at the airlines later on, especially when you're ready to upgrade the captain. It just, it does wonders to your brain and your thought process. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could probably have a podcast just on talking about 135 freight stories going back and forth. It's, you see a lot of things, you learn a lot of things, you learn a lot about weather, you get comfortable, you're not comfortable, you get comfortable with your limits with weather. And maybe it's through trial and error. You're like, I don't ever want to do that again. Or maybe there's some other things that go on, but it, it's a good way to build time. It's a, it's a way that's going to make you, it's going to force you to be the best pilot you can possibly be every single day because it's either you do or you don't, you know, it's, it's all up to you. You're flying tired. A lot of times you're flying fatigued, you're flying and, and planes that usually don't have the best equipment, raw data. Maybe they look like they need a, a good thing of paint, maybe a new engine, you know, it's like, there's a lot uh, going on in the freight world. Um, Amerifight specifically, I used to see their planes all the time and they looked, always looked run down. They always looked like they've been, uh, they're on their last leg. How was their maintenance department? Was it pretty good? Did they keep up with everything? I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought at least in Puerto Rico, and I could only speak for where I was based. Um, I thought they did a really good job. We had uh, true professionals down there. And what, what we have to understand is those airplanes are just old. Um, and I think uh, airplanes last if you maintain them. And I think in a lot of the cases, the paint was just run down. Um, but I can only speak for my fleet and my base. Um, but uh, I, I thought that our mechanics were did a, did a fine job. That's good. And if I could choose between having bad paint or a bad engine, I would choose bad paint 10 times out of 10. And a lot of people will put new paint on a bad airplane to make it look good. And it's not good. So. Right. <laughs> they definitely had to choose what they wanted. But yeah, no, Air Marifight's a great job. It's a, it's a great way to build your time. It's a great way to get some uh, PS, PIC turbine multi-time. So that's kind of like gold and it might be gold here in the next coming years when airlines are coming back to hire. So definitely look into it. I think they're still hiring now. So if you <laughs> go, go apply, go make it happen. It's a, it's a good job and you'll learn a lot. Great company. You'll yeah. be lifting a lot of boxes and seeing a lot of weird <laughs> stuff, but you'll definitely that's learn true. a lot. What did this timeline, um, so were you, Kind of like your big picture of your life. So after a mare flight, you went to the the regional, right? Not quite. No. Okay. So, so not done. All right. What's next? <laughs> between a mare flight and and the airlines, uh, one of my former students, he was in the car business for like twenty five years, real estate guy, just business guy overall. Calls me out of the blue. I'm coming up on an upgrade at a mare flight, a captain upgrade, and he's like, "Hey, can you fly up to New York? I want to talk to you about something." I'm like, "Yeah, sure." Fly up to New York. We, he was like, surprise, I bought an airplane and he had a Cessna 172 waiting for us at the ramp. I'm like, cool. Um, we fly up for a lunch flight to Oxford, Connecticut. That's a shout out to the flying Fahans, by the way, Oxford, but I think they're nearby there somewhere. Uh, we fly up to, uh, to Connecticut, sit down at a, an airport restaurant in Oxford. And he says, I want to open up a flight school. Uh, you were my flight instructor. I know nobody in this industry and I would like you to be involved, you know, be it as an instructor or as a partner or whatever. And I kind of giggled, but then I was like, this guy just seriously bought an airplane. So he's got to be serious. But then I said, how much money do you have to play with? You know, like, are we going to hit the ground running with this thing? And uh, he said, well, you, I, you know, keep your job now. Um, if you can make the commute back and forth between Puerto Rico and New York. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. And uh, by the way, that could have been a three-hour direct flight, not for me. For me, it was 13 to 16 hours because I had to double and triple leg it. So it was a terrible commute. Um, and 
and then uh, and then we'll go from there. So that's what I did. Uh, I'd fly Monday through Friday until we got we finally got a second pilot on the Brazil. At one point, I was the only first officer on the Brasilia in Puerto Rico. So I flew five days a week. Um, so I couldn't even, <laughs> you know, at the time I was like, God forbid I get sick, but fortunately I never did. And, um, then finally we got a, another FO down there. So I was able to split the time and I would commute up to New York, uh, all 16 hours of it, work on the flight school tirelessly. I would actually sleep in our office at the time we had an office in Astoria, Queens. It wasn't even on the airport. Uh, we ran ground school and simulators out of there, which was really convenient for people that lived in New York city and didn't want to commute all the way to the airport on a bad IMC day. Uh, um, I would sleep in the office. That's how hard I was working. Um, we hit the ground running. I, at least I did very, very, very aggressively. Um, to the point where it, it almost felt like overnight, there was a school that everybody was talking about on the airport. And they're like, who's Icarus? Who's Icarus? Who owns that school? Who's, who's running it? And then a lot of people were very, very surprised to find that it was us. Um, and then finally it became too much. And I said, I, I, I gotta pick one. I can't do this. Uh, and that's why I left Ameriflight. It's the only reason I left. Uh, I, I was, I had goals to become, um, uh, a Czech airman there or a training captain and hopefully a chief pilot. And I made the very difficult decision to leave the money, <laughs> leave my career goals and, uh, venture off and, and really grow this flight school. And, uh, that's what I did for, for a little while. And, um, we grew and grew and grew and, uh, started succeeding. And I started teaching my, my high school teachers how to fly and, uh, had the flexibility to do what I want with my time, with my schedule. I was my own boss and that was a great feeling. And then finally my airline buddies were like, now I was old enough, you know, of course to go to the airlines and all that. They're like, uh, Kareem, you gotta, if you don't come now, you're going to regret it. Like if you don't come to the airlines now, you'll regret it. Um, and I was fortunate. I was just shy of like my, my 21st birthday. Uh, my current airline, uh, hired me. I was in the recruiting department for a little bit, um, until I was old enough to start class. Is that and when we met more- at Ohio state? Or is that yes, after? That's okay. when we met. That's when we met at Ohio State. That's when right. you had no idea who I was and you thought I was just a groupie and a fan. <laughs> <laughs> now I know who you are. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, second time we met was at Oshkosh, right? Yeah, this it was. August yeah. or July. And um, so anyway, yeah, I was a pilot recruiter. Great, great, great experience. Met some great people, made some great connections and uh, started class. And, um, and yeah, that was it. So and I'm glad now looking back, I'm absolutely thrilled. I, my only regret is I didn't do it sooner. I didn't go sooner because my seniority super guy, I think I'm the top 30% of the airline or top 25 or what I, whatever I'm at right now. And that's really good. Um, sub a thousand seniority out of a 25, 2600 pilot airline is really good. So I'm glad I did it. Glad I got in when I did, because it just, especially in today's world with COVID, it just didn't work out. Talk a little bit about, so everyone in this industry is going to be faced with a difficult decision. I mean, some it's more difficult for others, but you really liked what you had going on at Ameriflight. You liked what you're doing. You had goals there and, and career aspirations to kind of, to move on up there and uh, make a name for yourself there. 
Talk about how hard it is to make that decision to step away from somewhere you like in order to maybe further your career or maybe it's like maybe it's a necessary move, but just talk about the decisions that weigh into making that decision and the thought process behind it to, to make that move and go on from AmeriFlight to go to the flight school. So I'm known to make decisions fairly quick and, 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 I'm, and I'm usually pretty good at making decisions quick, right? That was one of the decisions that was not made overnight. <laughs> um, it, it took a few months to, to finally pull the trigger. And a part of it was dealing with new, uh, a, a new leadership at our base in Puerto Rico at Ameriflight. Um, changing mindsets made it, made it a little easier for me to leave. Um, but I also needed my partner, my business partner, my former student. I said, Hey, should I leave? Do you think I should leave? Do you think, do you think I should? Do, do you think I'm like, is this, am I insured? Because I think I, sh- I should leave. Do you think I should leave? And then <laughs> it was just a constant. He didn't want to be responsible for, for me making a bad career choice. So he'd be like, I don't know, man, maybe. And then finally we got his wife involved. <laughs> oh, he's smart. Get the wife involved. They use them. They make got, the best decisions. We got his wife involved. Who's a, who's also a very successful businesswoman in the real estate and construction industry. And she said, Kareem, you got a great head on you. And my husband's a great businessman. You two are a phenomenal team. Quit your job. I was like, okay, somebody told me I had, so I'm, I'm just going to do it now that she told me. This is your fault I, now, not my fault. <laughs> it's your fault. If everything goes downhill, I'm coming back to you. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, it's, it's funny because I actually, I don't think I've ever publicly or talked about this out loud since it's happened. So it's funny that you bring that up. That is funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny how making a decision can be really difficult, especially where you like what you are and you feel like maybe a lot of people some sometimes feel like they owe it to a company to stay there longer. And maybe the best decision for them is actually to leave. And just, the, I, I guess the biggest point is if you are going to leave, try to make sure the company is set up, try to make sure maybe you can find the replacement. Maybe you can put out some feelers, but to leave, leave a company maybe abruptly when they think you should stay longer, just try to do everything you can to make it as easy as possible for them. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I did with every company I left. On my first flight instructing job, I walked in my replacement. I walked them in. I literally walked them in. I said, hey, here's what's going on. Um, I thank you. They offered me more money. They offered me a 141 chief pilot, check airman position at the at the school. They did everything, dude. And um, I my mind was made up. And, and I said, but I got you a replacement. <laughs> and, he starts uh, tomorrow. That, replace, <laughs> that replacement's over at JetBlue now. So it just it worked out. And um, then uh, Ameriflight, same deal. I made sure that they had a pilot down there because, again, like I said earlier, I was the only pilot down there for quite some time. And I wasn't going to be doing the company any favors by just leaving and making sure uh, without making sure that they had a replacement down there. Where does uh, being a uh, reserve NYPD police officer come to play into all this? Is this when you moved back from Mirflight? Um, no, this was high school. Um, you can be an NYPD possible were, police officer in high school. So they were at the time. I got to really think about this, these facts. They were accepting applications for auxiliaries um, at the age of 17. I think 17 with parental consent or something, you could have signed up and started training. Um, And I think that's changed since then. I think now you got to be like 18 or 19 or whatever it is. Uh, For understandable, considering what's going on in the world with people wearing, you know, police uniforms and stuff. Uh, It's just not, it's fairly dangerous, I think. Um, 
so while I was in high school as well, senior year, that was a very busy year for me. Um, uh, three days a week for a very long time. It was months and months and months. It was, it was a very, very extensive program. I, I say three, but I think it was even more than that. I think like four days a week. Um, we would go and train with the police department. Um, and my best friend, who's also in aviation, Will, um, and I both were in at the same time. We were in the same class. It was so funny story. I always had a respect for law enforcement. I always appreciated it. I always had an, an interest in it. But we saw the movie Let's Be Cops. And I think the next day we made the decision that we were going to go do it. Um, we walked into the uh, into our office for the or the office for the interview, the 19th precinct. And the boss that was interviewing us, who is now one of my best friends, he's like, you guys are pilots? And then he pulls out this medical from like the 1980s out of his pocket. He's like, I was I was learning how to fly back in the day. And I look at the medical um, and I look at his because back then they would put the solo on it on the back of it. And his solo, uh, his flight instructor was my examiner that gave me my ratings. No way. So he never got his private, this guy. So um, anyway, he hired us. <laughs> and, um, then I ended up becoming his flight instructor and, and finished up his, uh, his private. So that's crazy. Um, Dude, small world. Yeah. It just goes like encompasses just that, that main, that mindset of how small aviation is. And you truly never know who is going to be the one hiring you and what they can do to help you. You never know. And now he's retired and he treated us well when he was our boss. And now I'm helping him and you know, he's going to finish up his ratings and we'll get him a job at the airline. So it's just, it works. It just works out everything. Uh, cut hand in hand. Um, it's great. I've been part of it since then, since 2015 ish. Um, and it's sad that as soon as I surrender my New York driver's license to get a Texas one, I have to surrender my shield and ID. But, uh, I know Dallas police department has reserves down here and, um, that's a little more difficult. The, their Academy down here, their police Academy is a little extensive, but I, that's definitely something I'd like to get into next that's when cool. I find the time. That's uh, that's very respectable. I mean, that's just, that's a cool thing to get into and especially uh, just doing what you're doing and how much you had going on is crazy. Like you are a busy dude, man. It doesn't seem like you like to have any time off and just kind of chill and uh, play flight simulator anymore. Just to put this into perspective, I was in St. Louis uh, for training and I have three days off and I just couldn't stay put. I said, I need to, I need to fly to Dallas. I need to go home. So it's just, yeah, I, 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 I go crazy when I'm not doing anything. I'm sure a lot of people in this industry are like that. <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I like to just be in a, in a dark room, <laughs> watching TV, just chilling, doing nothing, That's not talking funny. to anyone. Yeah. A lot of people are surprised because I'm like very much an introvert. Talking to people is, I mean, I can talk to people, but it's not something I usually seek out to do. Like it drains all my energy. So today I have three interviews set up, but like at the end of this, I'm going to be a zombie and won't be able to move. So it's really interesting. I, I agree with you that most pilots are probably more like that, but it's definitely a vast, uh, there's a vast array of people in this industry and so many different kind of personalities, mindsets. And it's really cool to see what we can get into in aviation and who you can meet. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, th this COVID thing. I'll tell you what, it's, it's been very, very difficult. I mean, I, I just, and I'm, and I'm rarely home, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm in training. It's just, it's, it's, it's fine for me, but there is a level of, um, Hey, slow it down. And I, it, I haven't been coping very well with it, but 
Yeah, no, for sure. There definitely is. It's an interesting time. I think everyone can agree that we can uh, get this over with as soon as possible. Whenever it wants to stop being a little punk, we can uh, move on and hopefully uh, get back to life. Uh, I want to talk a little bit. I know we're, we're over an hour, but I want to talk a little bit about kind of growing a flight school, especially growing at a young age. Did you ever find like, were there people that were doubting you like, wait, how can you grow a flight school? You're like 19 years old, 20 years old, you know, whatever age you were at that time. And did you find people were doubting you, uh, kind of judging you based off doing that or maybe not really respecting what you guys are building? So those years, that period was, um, in terms of my personality, was my most aggressive time. I, I was very, very aggressive. Um, I was a, very much a New Yorker, uh, a lot more aggressive than, than you're hearing right now. And at the time, all I cared about was really two, two people. What my business partner thought, who was 45 when I met him. He was 45. I was 18 when I, when we, when I started flight instructing him, right? Um, so he was much older than me. And I cared about what, what my family thought, what, what my parents thought. And my parents are some of the most supportive people I know. They might, because they're, they're business people, right? They might sometimes say, oh, I don't think it's the right decision, but they never say no. They always say, do what you think is right. Okay. My business partner does not put age over success. It's success first and then everything else. So if I'm succeeding at what I do, if I'm good at what I do, then age is just a number to him. And I really appreciated that. And that was the mindset I needed from a business partner in order to to succeed the way we did. Um, Now, that aside, the rest of the world, the outside world, other flight schools, um, future co-workers at, at, at my, my other jobs and whatnot, they thought the opposite because of the age. Um, now, I was always fairly well-spoken, I thought, and, um, and I had my achievements to speak for me, right? But people would still look at the age. And, and even now, as an airline pilot, as a, as a a young captain at the age of 23, people still look at things like that. And they're like, how, how mature truly is this person or, or how successful can they be? Yeah, it's like, well, wait, he's flying the plane right now. Yeah. But, but all you got to do, you, there are plenty of people out there that are incredibly successful. Um, uh, I mean, in, in the technology industry, I mean, look at Bill Gates, look at Steve uh, or not Steve. Yeah. Look at Steve jobs. Look at uh, uh, Zuckerberg. Look at our, Current president, uh, he got started in the in the in the real estate industry very young. I think he built or he he turned the Commodore Hotel project at the age of like twenty five and twenty six or something like that. So it's it's not always um, the age, and 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 that's a lesson that I try to tell people. Well, I, I I make an effort to give back to the community. I go back to Career Day. I think for the last four or five years, I've been going to Career Day um, at my middle school, my elementary school, and my high school. And my message to everybody is, hey, you're going to meet a lot of older people today. Not me. I'm closer to your age than, than, than uh, anyone else you're going to see today. And that's my point. You can do this young. Do what you can young because if you're very sharp at that age. You have ideas. And there's a lot to learn. I mean, there's a lot that I learned about myself, about my personality and things that I had to change uh, being that young. And there was a level of immaturity, of course. Uh, but my drive and hunger uh, and, and really wanting to succeed in what I did was, was what truly made us successful. I think, um, the age, the age has always been an issue to some people, but to me, it's, 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 Hey, when you're underestimated, it's your time to, to thrive. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And you're always going to be either too young, not, you're always going to think you're too young, not smart enough, not good looking enough or not uh, talented enough to do something. And you just have to, to work at it. You got to, like you said, you got to worry about the people that you're closest to, the people that this affects the most and not let the outside world, the people that really have no say and really don't care if you're successful or not. You have to be motivated for the right reasons and count on the people that are closest to you to get you through anything in that kind of moment, you know? My mindset I would always tell myself in my head, of course, you don't want to say things like these out loud, but I would say, um, they're not paying my paycheck. They're not, they're not putting money in my pocket. I don't care what they think. You know, you can, you can be respectful to them, but don't let that now for a while at the beginning, it was, it was very unmotivating and it sucked to, to have people tell you, uh, I'll tell you what my, uh, my former, uh, the first flight school I worked at, um, that that I, w- I thought I was a model employee. They really wanted me to stay when I decided to go to Ameriflight. After word got out that we were the ones running the flight school, I received a very nasty phone call from my former boss at that flight school, um, very upset that I was competing with him uh, or competing against him. And I truly wasn't. That was I, I didn't I didn't wake up every morning and say, oh, I'm going to compete with them and them and them. No, it was just I want our flight school to succeed. Um, they took it a different way because we were operating out of the same airport and, um, flight instructors were making career decisions to move on to other flight schools and whatnot. And, um, it was very hostile and, um, that can be intimidating being that young and dealing with people in their forties that are threatening you and, and being very, very harsh and aggressive. And, uh, it's, it's, there are sharks out there and sometimes you got to grow up and be a shark yourself in order to do it. You know, you can't be intimidated and it's very easy at that age to be intimidated when people are being that rude and aggressive with you. Agreed. I definitely agree, especially with someone who you probably had a lot of respect for and that you kind of held a special place in your heart and in your, in your mind. And that had to be hard to hear that from them and just kind of a a little bit of confusion and just be like, well, I'm not trying to put you out of business. I'm just trying to build my own thing and there's nothing wrong with building your own thing. And, yeah, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough way to, to it's just really hard to, to kind of continue from that, but you did and you, you kept building and I'm guessing the flight school is still doing well. It's still out there and it's still, uh, still doing what it can do. Two locations, two airports and a maintenance shop. So we're, uh, we're doing really well. I mean, our biggest hiccup has been this COVID thing, of yeah. course, and, uh, Same with everyone, right? and yeah. with everybody and, uh, we'll get through it as well and, and it'll be just fine. What's the wildest goal or what is the goal for uh, your flight school? Is it to be kind of like the number one across the world, have locations in in every state and train all the pilots? Or is it just to kind of stay local and uh, do what you're doing up there? To be innovative, for sure. Um, that's been the goal from the beginning. And and we have been where it seems to, to, it seems like we're always the first to do something new, to, to start a wave off uh, of new ideas of new things. Um, you walk into our offices and most people compare it to an Apple store. I would say that's the number one analogy comparison is an Apple store. That's what, that's the vibe you get. So we're very fresh. Like it's not your traditional mom and pops flight school where you walk in, everyone's wearing a Piper cub cap and a, and a bomber jacket. Um, it's, it's, it's a very, um, new, fresh type of vibe. Not, not that I'm, uh, you know, uh, saying anything's wrong with the previous one. I actually respect that a lot. You know, I'm the one that, that, uh, that goes around with the Piper Cub hat and jumps in with a book bag and, and goes, goes and flies one of our airplanes, but it's, 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 it's just a new, new vibe. It's fresh, you know? Yeah, So absolutely. just, just to be, just to be new, we, I'd like to 
to, to keep growing. Of course, it's everybody's goal. We want to keep growing and uh, hopefully go international sometime and, and, and do some of that. And uh, we'll see. Nice. That's awesome, man. Uh, those are pretty much all. I guess I have one more question, then I'll get to the rapid fire. Um, when choosing a regional for uh, someone that's as young as you are, what was? why did you choose where you chose? I mean, you don't have to name who it was. And maybe you can just give kind of reasons why you chose one over the other, or what, what someone should look for when choosing a regional. And um, have you ever regretted the regional you chose or just kind of helpful? Because a lot of people are going to be, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of good options and there's a lot of money being thrown out there. Is it just money? Do you look at flows? Do you look at kind of contract agreements where like with junior basing, with junior manning and all that kind of stuff? You look at everything. Um, my decision um, at the time when I, when I was applying to go to the airline I'm at now, um, it wasn't a popular decision back then only because the airline industry as a whole was recovering from um, really 9-11 and the recession and just the pi- just everything overall, the pilot pay shortage and all that stuff. So at the time, I saw incredible potential Okay, at, at that airline. I, I really did. I said, they're a legacy regional. At, they, they were the place to be for the longest time. And I see them making moves that are going to help them shoot back up to the top. And that's why I went there. Um, the, the pay wasn't there at the time. It wasn't the highest paying, but now it it is, it's one of the highest paying, but at the time it wasn't. Um, but they had reopened up their New York base, which was great for me. And it was part of being a legacy, part of a legacy company. Um, there are five wholly owned carriers that I'm aware of regional or four wholly owned carriers out there. There's Endeavor for Delta, Envoy, PSA, Piedmont for American. And in my opinion, Getting into the industry now, I always tell people or advise them to look into the wholly owns because there's insurance. Um, we all saw what happened to uh, to some airlines with COVID, and granted, it wasn't just COVID that, that that caused that. It was there were other things, but you never know when something like this might happen. And Usually the, the airlines that suffer the most and run into the, the, the most issues are the ones that don't have the backing of a, of a major airline. Um, and this is why I say go to a wholly owned carrier. It's insurance. I understand there are shiny jets out there. People, I, I never cared about that. I had the option to go to the 175 as a new hire. I was hired on the CRJ, displaced off of it, and I was able to go to the 175. And I picked the 140, you know, the, the grandma of the fleet. And... People say, why would you do that? I'm like, because it's not about the jet. We're getting the same money. You're getting paid the same. It's about quality of life and job security. Um, so yes, for, for people coming in to the industry now, my suggestion, look into the wholly owned carriers, please. You're going to have the job security, the backing of the airlines, because in order for the for that company to not do well for the wholly owned, to, to, to struggle, the major carrier, the parent company has to struggle. Because it's their money, it's their they're their airplanes, it's their company, their employees. So that that would probably be my biggest suggestion. Look and look at pay, look at all that, and it depends on the situation you're in. We have um, direct entry captains now at almost every airline, right? Um, I would caution people about that, uh, you know, because as a direct entry captain, you go in, you get this huge bonus, right? You're making a hundred plus grand your first year which is great. But then what you have to realize is you're at the bottom of the seniority list and you have a lot of more senior first officers that are more senior to you 
that are going to come up on a captain upgrade. And once they upgrade, they're going to be senior to you. Um, and that has been a huge issue, I think, for a lot of pilots um, that don't think about it that way because they come in, they get this huge pay bump, they're so excited, they're making a lot of money, and then they're on reserve for three years. In 2020, in the year 2020, you're on reserve for three years. It's, 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 you got to think about everything, everything. And it, it causes a, a negative culture, a lot of negative conversations, because then you have people that are bitter and they're like, oh, I came here and I'm on reserve for three years. Well, it's, it's self-induced, you know, and there, there should, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't be complaining about something that's self-induced. You know, you gotta, you gotta look at everything. So yes, talk to all your buddies, talk to friends that are at the majors that have done it years prior. Their information is going to be outdated, but it's good back. It's good information to have background information and then talk to your buddies that are currently there right now and get their input right now. That's, that's the best way to make a decision. That's what I did. And I am, I wouldn't, if I could go back, I would, would have done everything the same exact way. I'm very happy with where I am. Great airline, great company. And I'm happy. I, I came here when I did. Yeah, for sure. And I guess one caveat to that too, is just know that things can change. Like, like you said, where you are now is, wasn't always the highest paid. It wasn't always maybe the best job to go to. And maybe now it's one of the top jobs, but it's, uh, the, the airlines, the regionals, they're cyclical too, just like the industry cyclical. So it can go up and it can go, it can go down when you're at the top. doesn't mean you're always going to be at the top. So just know, uh, just, I mean, just same overall kind of message is just be very flexible, be understand that things change and just kind of roll with the punches and make the best decision for your career. For sure. And a little bit of advice to anybody in this industry, especially if you're a little younger and this is your first job, um, look into other industries. Uh, it's not bad to have a second source of income to be involved in something else because not necessarily if things go bad. I mean, obviously now we're, we're in a bad situation, but overall you want a backup. You want a second source of income coming in just in case. And, uh, you might find something that you might enjoy a lot more. I know there are things that I enjoy a lot more than flying, believe it or not. And it's just, you can't say um, that it's taboo. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> it is taboo. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, it seems like I'm always saying things that a lot of people call taboo, oh, but that's uh, all good. again, it's a New York thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree. As, as pilots, you know, we kind of have a, a unique and interesting schedule where you are afforded more time off than most places. So you have the opportunity to kind of find some passion projects, kind of find Dude, something you, that you want to do. So yeah, go after it. You, you see uh, you see me on, on social media, I'm sure. I think most of the year I'm vacationing and I'm not flying. Um, I, I know that this last year, uh, 2019 and 2018, even the majority of the year, I was vacationing. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember you doing that, flexing everyone on the ground, trying to make people jealous. You know, it (laughs) it, it was it was because I was too young to do anything. I couldn't upgrade to captain at the time, so I was like, I got the flight time. I might as well go enjoy. You know, so yeah. Hey man, I got some uh, rapid fire questions for you. So uh, if you are familiar with these, great. If not, then this is what you're going to do. I'm going to ask you a question. You say the first and quickest thing that comes to your mind. Oh boy. All, all right. right. They're not too hard. They're all aviation based. So it should be good. I'm not going to ask like, who are you going to vote for? Or, like anything like that. So it's all, <laughs> <laughs> it's all aviation based. It should, should be fun, but no explanation needed. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Sure. What is your favorite airplane? This is going to be multiple tiers. We're going to start with an airliner. What's your favorite airliner? 757. What? Oh, RIP. What is your favorite corporate jet? Uh, Falcon Easy 3. All right. What about favorite uh, Piston Twin? Mm, Piper 
seminal. Turboprop. Could be a single Brazil, engine. Yeah. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. There you go. All right. What about, let's see, what else? Uh, a GA aircraft. So just a, uh, a normal, small little piston uh, piston single. Piper Archer. Okay, there you go. Well, all right. So I obviously am very vocal about what I think is the ugliest airplane. Do you have an, an airplane that in your mind you just think is very, very ugly? The, uh, uh, that, that golf stream, the old one with the super long nose. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one in a while. Good job. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. Here's one. What is your favorite airport to land at? LaGuardia. Nice. You are uh, Kevin Casson would be very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> what about your least favorite airport to land at? Ooh, Charlotte. What? Come on, man. That's my hometown. Get out of here. <laughs> is it because of the taxi and how Echo, the, the whole E-gate is terrible? It's just a disaster. It's yeah. not the airport per se. It's the operation. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, the regional side of, of Charlotte Airport is a hot, hot mess. <laughs> so I've heard. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Uh, favorite airport food. So you got a quick connection and you want to go get some food. What are you getting? Ooh, Annie Ann's. All right. Nice. I like that. It's like what I used to have when I went to the mall when I was like eight years old. <laughs> Here's one. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? How much coffee I had to drink. <laughs> Who in the industry would you like to meet most? It could be living or dead. Bob Hoover. Favorite thing, favorite one thing about aviation? Uh, how small and well-connected it is. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown? That's tough. Yeah. And I'm not supposed to pause, but... <laughs> no, you're fine. We, that's we, tough. Yeah, it is tough. Can we make it the most interesting? Yeah. The expressway three one at LaGuardia. All right, I was flying freight one time into a PC and a PC twelve. I think it was my first time either as PIC or I had I had another pilot with me, but we had to do the uh, Canarsie VOR, follow the lights into where do we go into JFK. Oh, that's and, fun. Yeah, but it was like the first time I've ever been to JFK. Really, the first time I've been to Northeast, so I was just kind of nervous and going into that. And then like, all right, mm-hmm. the Canarsie VOR. It's like well, I haven't shot a VOR in forever. What do you mean I'm going to shoot the Canarsie? Follow lights. What does this mean? But yeah, it was pretty easy and it was pretty cool to follow lights. It, you know what? You refreshed my memory. Let's make it the there's an, an circling NDB approach at Little Saint Lucia. Okay. When I was flying cargo, that would be the most difficult. That sounds fun. Or That's the not one. fun. However you want to look at it. Would yeah. you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city? The city. Airbus or Boeing? And for you, I guess I need to add Embraer. I hate to say it. I know this is going to be so crazy, but it's Airbus. All right. How dare you, man. The Embraer's, the Embraer's grew you to be the pilot you are today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite airline livery? Uh, American. Would you rather fly one very, very long leg, like say you're a captain of a 787 flying for 16 hours, or would you rather fly a ton of short trips? Maybe you're you're out in the Caribbean flying freight around. You got like six spots you got to hit. Which one would you rather have? One leg. Yeah. What is, uh, what's the hardest check card you ever taken? CFI. What is the biggest win of your career? The biggest win. <laughs> right now, uh, getting captain right before everything shut down for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What's the biggest regret you have in your career so far, if you have one? Not coming to this airline sooner if I had a choice. All right. Uh, CRJ or ERJ, that's an easy one. ERJ. 141 training versus 61 training. Uh, 61. All right. And last but not least, outside of, uh, no, what's your favorite airline in the whole world that you could fly on? In the whole world, American. Nice. Look at you, man. 
Red, white, and blue all the way. Yeah, I, my dad's an American pilot. I'm from Charlotte, so I I, I like American too now, and I like the new tail. Mm-hmm. It used to be all U.S. Air, but all American. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. But Kareem, those are all the questions I have for you, man. You have successfully completed the Pilot to Pilot podcast, so thank you Woo-hoo. for coming on. I appreciate it. You've done a lot in your short career so far, man, so I look forward to following you and seeing what you're doing next and just see how, how you grow as a pilot, as a person, and just see what you can do in the business world. So good luck, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I know we've uh, been planning it for a while. I know, right? It's about time, but it's done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. All right. Thanks, sir. Cool. Aviation that is a wrap of episode 125 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, you can reach out to Cream on Instagram, I Fly Metal Birds. Ask him any question you want. I'm sure he'd be more than willing to answer it. If you want to ask me a question, you can email me at pilot the pilot hq at gmail.com. Check me out on all social media, Pilot the Pilot, and you can go ahead and support us on Patreon if you would like. But Aviation, thank you so much for taking up your time and let me take up about an hour, hour and a half of your time to listen to this episode share it with all your friends, leave us a review. And as always, happy flying.